And now on Marcus Paul in the Morning, Mark Latham. Okay, time for our regular Friday chat with One Nation's Mark Latham. G'day, Mark. How are you, mate? Pretty good, Marcus. Hope you're going well. Yeah, not too bad, thank you, mate. You uh, Are you isolating today? You're not coming into town? No, I'm self-isolating. There's yep. a health advisory that if you're in the Parliament House uh, dining room on Tuesday night, mm-hmm. I was on the other side of the petition wall yep. from this now infamous National Party function. So I didn't have any contact with Adam Marshall, who had the COVID. But I was in the dining room space uh, away from them. But the health advisory is to do the test. I did that yesterday and it was negative. Good. And then self-isolate until further advised. All right. Uh, Look, just on this, before we get to dark emu and other issues, the Berejiklian government was warned four months ago about this gaping hole in our biosecurity system that saw unvaccinated and unmasked drivers transport international air crews to hotel quarantine. I'm going to speak to the Transport Workers Union about it this morning very soon on the show, but it would appear this advice, from what we're told, was ignored. And look where we are now. Yeah, absolutely. One massive mistake has got a city in quasi-lockdown. I was in the middle of Sydney yesterday and there's hardly anyone there. On Wednesday night, I stayed at the Fullerton Hotel. They said within a couple of days, their occupation rates had collapsed from 60% to 9 So they lost over half their hotel bookings. And, you know, there's going to be enormous economic and, and personal wreckage out of this, all because the Berejiklian government didn't act on that warning four months ago. And also, you know, common sense would have warned you and told you that if we're going to have transport drivers picking up air crews from overseas at the airport and taking them to quarantine hotels, then those drivers most certainly needed to be vaccinated, they needed to have masks, and they needed to have PPE. And the government, the Berejiklian government, uh, and the health minister, Hazard, had the power to do that. They've got a blank cheque to write out the public health orders, and, boy, that, that, that was an obvious one that should have been the law of New South Wales. Now, I saw yesterday at the press conference the Premier was deflecting to the fact that the transport driver is under police investigation. Well... If there's no law in place, there's no law he can break. And um, there were guidelines, but that's not sufficient. So, look, this is a huge stuff-up by the Berejiklian government, and people should understand that they started this pandemic with the Ruby Princess, and towards the end of it now, there's something that probably in the coming weeks is going to be just as bad. Yeah, well, there's no doubt there's been a bit of deflection. Um, yesterday, I noticed the same thing, I thought. And, look, to be honest, I was contacted by the driver and and also a number of other um, people involved in the transport industry, and they say that there's literally been no checks happening at Sydney Airport. Um, Uber drivers are picking up people from other destinations. No-one's wearing masks. Nobody has protective clothing. It's It's like this... Has all been let's well. There's been a lot of complacency. Let's let's just say that I would have thought that you would you know like we've got today. I've received some photographs this morning of police who were there at uh, Central Station, checking that people are you know following their health guidelines and fining people for not wearing masks. I mean, these where were the police at Sydney Airport? Great question. The police should have been there doing the checks that these transport drivers had the protections in place. Um, that they had masks and PPE. Um, Vaccinations aside, they should have had that protective gear as well. And, you know, I caught the train out of the city yesterday to eventually get home and self-isolate. And as I got off at Campbelltown Station, so this is outside of the danger zones, this is way on the 
southwestern fringe of Sydney, as I got off at Campbelltown Station, there was a line-up of six police ready to find people, no more warnings, find people who got off the train without a mask. I had my mask on, of course, but they were there. Yeah. And wouldn't you think, uh, for the last um, period of the pandemic, police like that, uh, instead of being at Campbelltown Station, they should have been at the airport checking on the essentials to stop an outbreak in the first place. Well, that's where it was always going to come from. It's not going to come from Central Station in the city or MacArthur Station down in Campbelltown. It's, you know, and I've got some pictures coming through this morning. There's nobody on the trains. Oh, yeah, well, there's nobody in the city. No, absolutely and, not. And people are wearing masks even outside because, yeah. you know, they're, they're alert to the, the problem and this new variant apparently is transmitted airborne. Oh, yes. And there's not many on the trains and there'll be fewer there today and we're in quasi-lockdown now. I know it's not official, but uh, if you're in the centre of Sydney or the eastern suburbs or you work there, then you can't leave metropolitan Sydney and people know you've got to work from home. It's the safest thing to do. So, you know, whether the Premier declares it a lockdown, people are taking that practical impact and the economic carnage out of this is going to be enormous. Uh, School holidays and travel erect, uh, the tourism industry cops it again. Uh, The centre of Sydney, all those restaurants, cafes, uh, eateries, retail. You know, just one mistake, one obvious mistake that's been made uh, has a huge consequence. All right. Now, earlier this week um, in the New South Wales Upper House, the Liberals, Nationals, Labor and the Greens all voted against your motion to stop fake history being taught in our state schools. Bruce Pascoe's Dark Emu and Young Dark Emu are works of fiction, yet are being used as a factual source material in New South Wales schools. Now, I'm on your side with this. I've got no problem with people reading these works, but if they're being passed off as, you know, fact, when quite obviously there's a, a bit of uh, poetic licence being involved in the construction of the of this material, which is fair enough, that's up to the author. He or she can do whatever they like. That's the beauty of freedom of speech, but it shouldn't be passed off as, you know, being absolutely 100% historically accurate if it's not. Yeah, absolutely, that's right. The Education Department, the Minister and the Premier, they've got a duty of care, particularly to young students in schools, you know, seven- and eight-year-olds, that the instruction about history is accurate. And it's not that hard to do. The historical consensus, old historians, the new one in this book by Peter Sutton and Karen Walsh, make very plain that Indigenous pre-1788 were hunter-gatherers. Bruce Pascoe's thesis is that he's worried that that's uh, uh, described as they were mere hunter-gatherers, the Indigenous, And he's written up a fake history to say they were living in villages and had advanced agricultural cropping. There's no evidence of that. The book essentially is a fabrication. But the Premier's line has been to say, well, it's a healthy debate. And the Education Minister's line has been to say, oh, it's good for students to interrogate themselves and find the truth. Give me a break. They're seven and eight years old. Yeah, if any eight-year-old is going to wander down to the National Library in Canberra Mm. to go through the journals of Sturt and Mitchell that uh, Pascoe... Uh, relies upon to find out whether or not it's accurate. The responsibility of the education system, particularly in history, is just teach the truth. And we don't teach uh, um, Holocaust denial or uh, versions of uh, the moon landing was shot in a TV studio or George Bush did September 11. I mean, we don't do any of that rubbish. Why are we doing 
a version of Indigenous history in Australia that plainly is false. Well, particularly for young minds. Different, of course, if you're talking about, you know, university studies and those, I guess, in the, uh, maybe even in the later years of high school, perhaps, where you're asked to critically look and analyse and do your own research and come to your conclusions. But you're right, Mark, seven and eight-year-olds. <laughs> and, and that's right, Mark. There's a version of Dark Emu that Pascoe's put out deliberately called Young. Yeah. Dark email. It's like a children's book. Sure, yeah. Now, that one surely should not be in the schools. And, and what you say about university students researching historical sources, that's, that's spot on. It is a job for universities. But seven- and eight-year-olds reading young Dark Emu, unfortunately, the damage is they will have that impression in their young minds probably for the rest of their lives. And it wasn't that hard to teach them the truth. The truth established that Indigenous were hunter-gatherers, but not mere hunter-gatherers. They had a sophisticated, complex way of living off the land such that Geoffrey Blaney, a great Australian historian, widely respected, has written up that in 1800 the Indigenous here had a standard of living and food supply that was comparable to most of the population of Europe. Yep, yep. You know, so that, that's what needs, needs to be taught, not the idea they were living in stone cottages in villages, which is complete baloney. Good to have you on, mate. Look after yourself this weekend. We'll chat next week and hopefully uh, everybody can keep safe and, and get back to business next week at some point. Yeah, absolutely. Worrying times, but uh, we've all got to look after each other and our loved ones. Thanks, Marcus. All right.